Hey, so we are in, uh, in a series called The Grace Card, and uh, back before Thanksgiving break, we, uh, we started the series, and here's what we, maybe you missed that week, or just to remind us because you forgot because of all the turkey, we, um, we talked about how the goal for this series is not so much that we will just simply understand what grace is, but rather that we would drown in it that we would understand the depths of God's love for us, that we would jump in and live in the freedom of God's grace that he makes available to us. And um, we, uh, we gave a, a definition of grace that's in the, uh, the graphic there, and it's simply getting what we don't deserve. Receiving something that we could never earn, that we could never work enough for, that we could never deserve. That that's what grace is. Now, last week we talked, or two weeks ago, we talked specifically about um, grace for our past. We talked a lot about our past. We talked a lot about sin in our past. We talked a lot about how because of our past, we are undeserving of anything, right? In order for grace to really matter, we've got to first understand what we deserve. And because of the sin in our life, we deserve nothing. We don't deserve God's grace. In fact, we deserve the opposite of God's grace. And yet, because of God's goodness through the cross, because of what Jesus did for us through his death, burial, and resurrection, he makes it possible for us to have our sins forgiven and for us to receive what we never could deserve in the first place. We receive the forgiveness of sins and we're given the grace that God offers us. We, um, if you guys remember two weeks ago, we said that there is more grace in God's heart than there is sin in our past. And so that's where we left last week. Now, here's, here, I want to pose a little question as we get started. And the question is this. Is God's grace, is it just something that impacts our past? Is it just something that has an impact on us from what we did yesterday or what we did two weeks ago or six months ago? I mean, maybe there are some of us who are sitting here tonight or we're walking uh, we walked in the room and we're thinking, man, this is, the whole God's grace thing is great or whatever, but what relevance does that have to me sitting in this chair tonight? How does that impact me today in the life that I live and the way that I go about my business? How does God's grace impact me now? When, uh, when I was studying for, for this series and, and looking at different verses and stuff like that, there was, there was a bunch of verses that kept, kept popping up when, uh, when Paul was writing all his New Testament letters to the churches. And the phrase that kept popping up that Paul kept saying was, grace be with you, or grace be unto you, or may, may God's grace be on you, or grace be with you today, or whatever. And, and it kept popping up enough that I thought, man, that's a little bit strange. It's not, it's not a past tense thing. It's not like, man, God's grace showed up in your life, or God's grace did this. It's God's grace be on you, be with you today. And I, as I studied a little bit more, I started to understand that the sin in our past, that grace is there for our past, but it's just as much there for our present. As, as great as it is for what it does for us yesterday, it's still just as important and vital for us today in the here and now. That it does impact us. In fact, I think Paul, the reason why he wrote it so many times was he wanted to make sure that if, if we are followers of Jesus, then God's grace is something that we live in every single day. 
It's something that we walk around carrying. It's something that's always on our mind. It's fresh. And, and we understand how desperately we need it every single day. Now, I, I believe when we're talking about grace for today, there's two specific ways that God's grace has impact on us today. All right, in the here and now, in the present. All right, two things. And that's for all of us, all right? No matter where you walked in the room feeling or where you're at spiritually or what you're dealing with right now or what struggle you're going through, that I believe that these two things have impact. They carry weight for all of us today. Here's the first thing. And if you guys want to write this down, you can. or in your notes. The first thing, way that God's grace impacts us is God's grace overcomes our need to perform. All right, God's grace overcomes our need to perform. Now, here's how some of us act. We act as though God has the power to save us, but not necessarily to keep us. We believe that God's, God is big enough to offer grace for our past, but maybe he's not so much, maybe he's not big enough to offer grace for our present. In other words, we, we, live today, we live day to day feeling like we've still got things that we've got to earn from God. We still feel like there's certain things that God's not pleased about us. There's certain ways that we've got to Im- impress him. There's certain things that we've got to do to perform or to re- in order to receive benefits or love or forgiveness or acceptance or whatever from God. We feel like sometimes that God's love is conditional. That God's, God's ability to give us his love and his forgiveness and all of the things that he wants to give us is, is dependent on how much we're willing to work for it. How much can we do? How many things can we accomplish? How many church activities can we involve, involved in? How many things can we do in order to be on the receiving end of God's love and his acceptance. Now, if you want a good test to see if that's true of you, all right, if you have that mindset, if you have that attitude, just ask yourself this question. Why do I do the things that I do? Why do I do the things that I do? Now, specifically as it it pertains to your church stuff, all right, when you think about the things that you do for God, Why is it that you do those things? When you try to live right, when you try to do good things, when you try to help people, all those things that we try to do, what is the motivation behind why we do those things? For example, what's the motivation? Why do you show up here every Wednesday night? Why do you come? Is it because you, this is, you know, something you look forward to every week, you love to come in here and to gather with, with your friends and people that you care about and lift up God's name and learn from God and experience God? I mean, is that, is that the reason why you show up? Or is it because you feel like that's what good Christians do? Well, God, you're going to be pleased with me if I show up tonight. And God, I could stay at home and watch what's on TV or I could show up at Reckless. God, you'd probably be more satisfied or happy with me if I showed up, so therefore I'm going to go ahead and go. What's the motivation why you show up? Why do so many of you give to that well every single week? And I watch you guys give, and you give generously, and you give, in in a lot of ways, you feel like you don't have very much, but you give it. And it's incredible to see, and I'm watching this over the last few years and whatever, as we've 
you know, we're almost double the giving from where we were last year. I mean, it's, it's awesome. But what's the motivation behind why you give? Do you give because God's been generous to you? Because you've experienced the goodness of God and you want other people to experience that as well? Are you burdened when you see pictures of the people in Nicaragua and the kids who can't go to school? I mean, is, does, that, does that burden your heart to the point where you say, I, I've just got to do something about it? I've been there. I love these people. I want to serve them. I want to provide for them. Or do you give every week because you feel like you're going to receive something back from God? Do you give every week because, in, kind of in that motivation of going, hey God, I'm, I'm giving. Here I go. I just want you to you know, see this dollar bill or $20 bill or whatever it is that I'm waving in the air. God, I just want you to notice here that I'm about to drop this in the well. God, I, I'm, I'm doing this because I, I, want, I want you to be happy with me. I want you to be satisfied with me. I, 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 want, I want this to, to please you in a way where I can receive some love and acceptance back from you. God, I don't want you to forget about me. I don't want you to give up on me. So God, I, I'm, I'm giving this right now because I, I want those things from you. Why do we worship? Why do some of you guys serve in KidQuest on Sunday morning? Why do you... Sign up for things like Hope for Christmas. Is it because you feel like the more that I do, the more that I'm going to receive from God? If I do a little bit, man, God's happy with me. He's pleased with me to that extent. But man, if I do more than that, man, God's going to be that much more pleased with me. God's going to love me or accept me more. Why do you do the things that you do? Man, when I was, when I was younger, and maybe it's because of the environment I grew up in, church-wise or whatever, I don't know. But there were, there were so many things where, where I, the motivation behind the things that I did for God was not out of love for God or, or any of that kind of stuff. It was just because I want God to be happy with me. I wanted God to be pleased with me. I didn't want God to turn his back on me or to give up on me. I wanted to receive his love and acceptance. And so I felt like in order to, to have those things, I've got to do this stuff. I've got to earn it. What is the why behind the things that we do? If it has anything to do with earning something from God or proving something to God, then we've totally misunderstood what grace is all about. We've lost sight of what it should be all about. Let me just say this to, to all of us, whether you feel like you need to hear it or not. You are not being evaluated by God every single day to determine whether or not you're worthy of his love. God has already determined that you are. You are not expected to perform some religious activities as a way to earn favor from God. God has already given it to you. You are not as other people see you to be. You are not even as maybe sometimes you see yourself to be. You are as God sees you to be. His child who he has redeemed and forgiven and set free. A child who he dearly loves. Here's what 2 Thessalonians 1.12 says. It says, Then the name of our Lord Jesus will be honored because of the way you live, and you will be honored along with him. This is all made possible because of the grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. It's all made possible. We're honored 
we, we, we lift up God's name. We're, we bring honor and glory to him. And in, in turn, we're honored and all that kind of stuff. But the, but the reason behind it all, it's all made possible, not because of what we've done, not because of our effort or our performance, but because of God's grace, because of who he is. God's grace frees us up to simply love him. Not to try to earn something that he's already given to us. We get an opportunity to serve him out of gratitude and love, not out of guilt or some need to feel like we've got to perform. So God's grace, that's the first thing, overcomes our need to perform. Here's the other thing. God's grace overcomes our current struggle with sin. Now, we said last week, that, or two weeks ago, that God's, God's grace was about our past, right? It covered our past. We're forgiven. He doesn't hold us accountable to that. He looks at our mistakes and things, and he says, yeah, but I still love you. I still want you. And he forgives us, and he cleanses us, and yet, as all of us can attest to, it doesn't mean that we stop sinning. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden there's this kind of magic thing that happens, and we, we walk through life completely holy, and we never screw up anymore. I mean, all of us know our shortcomings and our weaknesses and our failures today. We know the mistakes that we made on the way here. We know the attitude that we've got, the sin that's in our life. We know the things that we're dealing with, those temptations that right now in our life today, we we feel like we're burdened by. They still hold us back. We still feel like they keep us from who God wants us to be. So what about those things? How does God's grace, if it impacts our past, what about the things that we're dealing with today? All of the crap and all of the sin that we hold onto. Here's one thing we've got to understand about God's grace. The person who knows us the best is the person that we need grace from the most. Let me say that again. The person that we, that who knows us the best is the person that we need grace from the most. All right, the people that, that see us firsthand, that spend the most amount of time with us, they know, they know how much we, we suck, all right? They see behind the curtain. They see our weaknesses. They see those moments where we blow up for no reason. They see those struggles. They see those temptations. They know all about us. They spend enough time with us to know our struggles and those things that hold us back. They see us at our worst. And it's those people, whoever they are, that we need grace from the most because they're the ones that know us the best. Other than God, I probably, not probably, I need grace the most from my wife. All right? Because I spend the most amount of time with her, she knows me the best. We know each other, and she sees all of the idiot moments that I have. All right? She sees all of those things where I act like an idiot. She's often the one that's hurt the most by the, the times that I act like an idiot. Those moments where I lash out at her, or I get frustrated with her, or you know, we're hanging out and I get, get upset over something, or whatever the case may be, we spend the most amount of time together, so she sees me. Hopefully she sees me at my best sometimes. But she, she definitely sees me at my worst. And I need grace from her more than anybody else. The person that knows us the best 
is the one we need grace from the most. Who is it that knows us better than anyone else? Who is the one that knows every mistake, knows every shortcoming, knows every failure? Even those ones that we tuck away and we don't let anybody else become aware of. Who is the one that knows everything? Those things that we can't hide from him. Those things that we can't sweep under the rug. Those things that he sees and he knows it all. See, as much as we may think that we're good, we need grace from God more than anyone else. So how is it that we receive God's grace today for the things that we're dealing with, those struggles with sin? Listen to what 1 John 1, 9 and 10 says. He says, if we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. How is it that we receive God's grace? We confess it to him. If you want to see how much you believe in God's grace, when you sin, do you run away from God or do you run towards God? In those moments where your weakness is exposed, where you fall flat on your face, where you screw everything up, where you deal with that same sin that you can't seem to get over no matter how hard you try, when sin enters the picture, On a daily basis, does it cause you to run away from God or towards God? I don't know why it is that so many of us, we feel like that God is out there and he is is just ready to to strike us down or he's, he's expecting us to prove how much we love him or we feel like that God's mad at us or he hates us or he wants to condemn us. And so when those moments of failure come, when we sin, when we fall short, we feel like, well, man, I can't really go to God with this because God's going to be displeased with me. God's not going to be happy with me. God's not really going to understand what I'm going through. And so therefore, rather than running to God, we run away from him. Rather than bringing those things to God, we kind of back away from him and we keep them in the distance because we feel like grace is not offered to us. See, when we understand what grace is all about, then rather than back away, rather than even walking towards God, we run to God. We look in those moments and we say, man, God, that's me at my worst. God, that right there is me at my worst. God, you know everything about me and you know how true that statement is. God, I cannot, no matter how hard I try, I cannot get over that sin. God, I don't feel like I can overcome it. God, I need your grace. See, what John says here is that we've got to be willing to confess our sin. When that sin enters the picture, we've got to be willing to run to God and to fall on our knees and to say, God, I'm desperately in need of your grace. But either we're scared of God because we don't feel like he's going to forgive us, or sometimes, like John says, 
we feel like sin isn't really that big of a deal. And so we keep away from God because we don't really feel like we need him all that much. And if we have that mindset, either one of those mindsets, we don't really understand what grace is all about. I love this verse, Hebrews 4.16. He says, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. So in other words, whatever that, that area of sin, whatever your worst is, whenever that moment hits or any other moment, we can come confidently, boldly, not, not pridefully or arrogantly like God owes us something, but rather confident because we understand who God is. We know that God is a gracious God. We know that God's grace is made available to us. And even when we're at our worst, we can run to God and we can confess it to him. And God promises that he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, from all of the worst things that we do. One of, um, one of my favorite card games is a game of war. How many of you guys, you like war? Yeah, war, woo. Um, simple game. How many of you guys don't know what I'm talking about? You don't know what war is? Wow, okay. Um, so it's a simple game. Um, it's pretty easy. I like it too because I can teach my kids and we can play and have a good time and they know what's going on. Um, and so it's a simple game. Basically, you've got two people across from each other or multiple people and all of the cards are ranked, right? You've got the two is the lowest all the way up to the ace being the highest. And everybody lays down their first card and the highest card there at the table wins that hand. And you keep going until one person's left with all the cards, right? You get it? You with me? It's an amazing game. So if you've got... In your hand, if you've got aces and kings and queens, you're in pretty good shape. You've got a good chance of winning the game. If you've got twos and threes and fours, then your odds aren't very good. Now, stay with me here, because I believe that there's a lot of... This particular game, I think, has a lot of application to what we're talking about tonight. And here's, here's how. So pretend like your life is this game of war. All right? And, um, and you sit down from the table, at the table, and you've got, you know, some cards, and you sit across from the table, and across from the table is, is your enemy, all right? Satan, out to destroy us. He wants to defeat us. He wants to bring war against us. Get it? And um, so he's got some cards, all right? And so it starts off, and, and, and you're going toe-to-toe, and all of a sudden, he starts out. All right? He starts out with, with his... First card, all right? And it's a good one. And he starts throwing out all these things. Man, I, I just want you to know, this is, this is life now. You are, you are unworthy. All right? I want you to know how unworthy you are. You are undeserving of anything. Not only from God, but from anyone else. You are unlovable. There's nothing that you could do. You are completely unworthy. He throws out that kind of stuff. And then we lay down our card, and it uh, doesn't look too good. And all of a sudden, we buy into that, and we feel like we don't measure up, right? We buy into that. We don't measure up to the things that he's doing. And then the next card, he lays down, he starts throwing out lies about us. 
he starts throwing out all of these things about our culture, about who he is, about who God is, about who we are. He starts throwing out lie after lie after lie. And we lay down our card and we buy into those lies that he feeds us every day. Then he starts throwing out our past. Hey, remember all the times where you screwed up. Remember all those mistakes that you've made, all those things that you promised you would never do again, all those things that you can't escape, and I'm not going to let you forget, I'm not going to let you escape it, they're all there, they're all in your past. And we lay down our card and we have no response for it. We have nothing to say, we know that we're guilty, we know there's nothing that we can do, and we lay down our card. And on and on and it goes, he starts throwing out our weaknesses. He starts throwing out the things that we're dealing with on a daily basis, He starts throwing out all of those things that we can't overcome. Man, you know, I know everything about you. I know those weak areas. I know those things that you don't let anybody else in on. And I know how terrible of a person you are. I know how weak you are in this area. And I'm going to bring things your way to make you fall in those areas. And we give in. We give in because we feel like, man, this, this is a weakness. There's nothing I can do. There's nothing that I can do to escape it. And so we just give in. We fall short. And you get the picture. On and on it goes. And the further the game goes on, the more terrible we do. Until we're left with nothing. Until there's nothing left. Until the game is over. Until... At the end of the day, what Satan wants to do is to destroy us. Now understand, that is where all of us are. If you sit in this room tonight and you are, don't have a relationship with Jesus as where all of us were at one point, then that's the reality for you. And no matter how much we may want to change our hand, no matter how much we want to change cards or do something different or whatever, we we deal with the hand that we're dealt. There's nothing that we can do to escape it. There's nothing that we can do to change it. It simply is what it is, and we stand defeated because of all of the things that Satan throws at us. But then God's grace enters the picture. And the hands change. And Satan starts off the same way. Now all of a sudden, God represents us. God stands in and he fights with us and for us. And Satan starts off with the same stuff. Hey, remember those things that are in your life. Remember how unworthy you are. Remember all of those things that people have told you and they've broken your heart and they've hurt your feelings and they've said the meanest things. And I just want you to know that that is true of you that you were unworthy, that you were unlovable by God or by anyone else. And he starts throwing out those things. And then what God steps in and he says, yeah, you're unworthy, but I make you worthy. And then Satan continues and he starts again, throws out those lies about our culture, about who we are, about who God is, about all of the things that are going on around us. He starts throwing out those lies. And in the past where it would be easy for us to give in to those lies, God steps in and he says, That's not true of who you are. That's not true of what's going on. Don't believe those lies. Don't buy into those lies. That's not who you are. Satan starts throwing out our past like he's so good at doing. Remember that area. Remember that struggle. Remember what you did. 
I'm never going to let you forget that. I'm never going to let you live that down. And God steps in and he says, yeah, but you're forgiven. I've covered that sin. I've covered you. And on and on and on it goes. Satan starts throwing out all of the areas of weakness that we deal with on a daily basis. Man, remember your porn addiction. Man, remember how much you struggle with hatred towards your mom or your dad. Man, remember what you did. Remember how weak you are. Remember that you could never be good enough. Remember all those times that you missed church. Remember how you didn't do as much as what somebody else has done. Remember how hard you've tried to perform and earn things from God, and it's not going to be enough. And he throws out all of those areas of weakness, all of those things that he wants to get us to believe about who we are on a daily basis. And God steps in and he says, in all of those areas on a day-to-day basis, my grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. Depending on what game you're playing in a deck of cards, you guys stay with me with this whole analogy thing. Depending on what game you're playing on a deck of cards, you know, we talked about, about rank. And the lowest card in a lot of games that you could possibly have is, is this one, the two of clubs. All right, and if you've got this in your hand, then your chances are very good that you will not win anything. All right, no matter what game you're playing, if you've got a two of clubs in a lot of games, this is the lowest hand that you could put, the lowest card that you could possibly have in a deck of cards. Let me ask you something. What is your two of clubs? What is that area in your life of greatest weakness? What is the biggest struggle that you face on a daily basis in terms of your relationship with God? What is that thing that no matter how hard you try, you can't seem to overcome? What is that thing that constantly stands in the way of you being all that God wants you to be? What is your two of clubs? Now, if, I, if I'm going to ask you to be honest, I've, I've got to be honest. My two of clubs, in all honesty, is anger. Whether you believe it or not, or whatever, I struggle with anger. I've, I've had conversations with people, like, man, you're like the most mellow dude I've ever... I've ever talked to you always seem like you don't get rattled you're like so patient all that kind of stuff and I just simply say you just don't know me very well because the truth is as I look at my life and I try to be brutally honest with where I'm at my two of clubs is anger and I could blame my dad because of his anger and it'd be really easy to, to make him the scapegoat but just as as angry as as he is and how that's negatively impacted some areas in his life, the truth is I'm not all that different. I understand that this has the chance to do some major damage in my life. There are moments that I go through where whether it's because my kids did something stupid or um, something happened and I I just get angry, I blow up. 
Maybe sometimes it's, it's over something that my wife said or did or, you know, whatever. But the truth is, this is my greatest area of weakness. Just as the two of clubs, in a lot of cases, is the lowest hand that you can possibly, or lowest card you can possibly have. The highest card that you can possibly have is the ace of spades. And again, depending on what game you're playing. And just as the two of clubs, if that's in your hand, probably guarantees you're going to lose, having the ace of spades in your hand probably pretty much guarantees that you're going to win. And as it pertains to what we're talking about tonight, in the moment of my greatest weakness, in the moment of your greatest weakness, in the area of deepest struggle, God's grace is sufficient. No matter how difficult it may seem to overcome, no matter how much it may impact your life in a negative way, what Jesus wants to say to us on a daily basis is that no matter what your worst is, my best always covers it. My grace is sufficient. Whatever that struggle is, whatever that weakness is, my grace is sufficient. You don't have to earn anything. You don't have to try to to perform, to earn something from me. I freely give you my best. And I know all about those weak moments. I know all about those areas of sin. I know you're two of clubs. And I'm giving you my best. My grace is sufficient. Romans 8.1, probably one of the best verses in the Bible. There is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. And what that means is, if God's grace has covered us, if God has forgiven us, if we've received the forgiveness that he offers on the cross, if we have a relationship with Jesus, then there is nothing that we can do or say, there is nothing that we can go through, there is no area of sin that Satan may try to throw up into into our world or into our face. There's nothing that can happen that God's grace doesn't cover. God's best always covers our worst. God's grace is sufficient. Here's how I want to close tonight. Something a little bit different. I've asked some some leaders to come around. And just to to kind of keep along with with that visual. I want you to really think about what what is your two of clubs. You guys go to groups in a few minutes. You guys can talk through that. What does that look like? What does that mean? And as you're aware of what that area of weakness is, and maybe you've got several of them, But leaders are going to go ahead right now and pass out just an, an ace card. And to maintain this, this whole visual that we've been talking about, here's what, here's what I don't want you to catch. That ace of spades represents God's grace. Not, not just for your past, not just for the mistakes that you've made, but for today, for the here and now, for tomorrow, for there's areas of weakness and struggle. 
For there's times where you feel like you've got to perform to earn something from God. For those situations and those moments where you feel like the motivation for doing something for God is because you want to earn something from Him. Or in the midst of a battle with a struggle or a temptation where you feel like you can't overcome. Or when you fall flat on your face and you go, man, is there any hope for me? That that visual ring true in your mind and in your heart to know that God's best always covers our worst. If you want to put that in your pocket, if you want to put that on your mirror in your room, put that you know, in your car dashboard, whatever it looks like, but to kind of maintain that visual that God's grace is sufficient today. And if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us. If in those moments we run to God and we confess those things, then God's grace is sufficient for us. Let's pray. God, we just thank you so much for the amount of love and mercy and grace that you pour out on us. That it is simply getting what we don't deserve from you. And God, when we deserved nothing, you give us everything. God, when we deserve to be punished for our worst, you give us your best. Your grace is sufficient. God, may that change so many, for so many of us, the way that we live, the motivation for why we do things for you. The reason why we show up here, the reason why we give, the reason why we serve, the reason why we try to be a Christian is not so much so that we can earn something from you or because that's what good Christians do and we're trying to receive uh, approval from you, but to live in the freedom, the approval that you already give to us as your son and your daughter. And to simply be freed up to love you. Let that be the motivation. God, in those areas of weakness and those struggles and that two of club area of our life, the biggest struggle or biggest area of weakness, God, I pray that we would be reminded that your grace covers it. That we would be willing to run to you, not run from you. And receive the forgiveness and the grace that you offer us every day. God, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.